Before we get started this evening, I just want to say thanks to everybody for coming. Um, we're going to be continuing uh, on the same theme that we were discussing the last time that the Lord had me to preach. It's going to be suffering. Um, and I hope today that uh, we can be comforted and that we will maybe get a better understanding of why it is that it seems that we so often find ourselves suffering. Uh, but before we dig into the scripture, uh, our pastor, his wife, uh, have had rough rough couple of weeks. Uh, and even today they've begun on a path that's in all likelihood going to be a long road. Uh, I want us to open in, in prayer, praying for, the, uh, praying for them, uh, that God would just touch them and comfort them and ask for healing. Uh, but more than anything, ask for God's glory to be had by him because he is deserving of it and he deserves our praise whether whether the days are sunny or whether the days are dark. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you would choose to show mercy to people like us. Lord, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and you've chosen for us to touch our lips with the coal so that we could be made holy by you. What a, what a great gift that you've given to us. Lord, we were your enemies and you came to make us your friends. I stand here this afternoon. Lord, I lift up Kip and Donna. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what this afternoon holds for us. But you do, Lord. You set those days before us. And when we step into those days, we don't do it alone. thank you for that hope. Lord, I thank you for a hope that surpasses anything that earthly healing could bring to us, Lord, because as many times as we could be healed, this body will still die. Lord, and if we were truthful with ourselves, we know that it needs to. So much sin is put forth by our minds, by our hearts, by our words by our deeds yet you with unfailing love pour out your mercy and grace on us as we open up your word tonight and study I ask that you would seal my lips Lord that I would speak nothing of self but that you would speak to us through your word tonight, Lord. Lord, I know that there are many among us who are suffering, some who are suffering, and no one knows. But you know, Lord, you know. Comfort us today. Lord, if through our trials lead us to points in our lives that we can find joy in any circumstance because our joy is not determined by our circumstance but by you and the hope that we have in you. Thank you for Christ and for the cross. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Alright, so I don't, I guess... Did we get the easy worship thing? No. Okay. Uh, so I had some slides prepared to kind of help help us follow along in this. Uh, we're going to be 
reading out of 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to end and probably spend a good deal of our time in chapter 4. Before we do that, we are actually going to go and read uh, in chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through uh, about verse 11. I want us to get a little bit of context first. I think context is very important, um, and I myself find it very hard to just jump in, especially trying to teach, just jump into a particular passage, even though it's just the fourth chapter of the book. uh, I find it hard to just jump in because there's so much uh, that if you don't spend a lot of time in your word that you might miss out on. There's a lot of things, I think, because maybe just the way that we've kind of always studied our Bible, we tend to be, you know, we tend to flip, open it up, look, and then just read. Right? We, we so often fail to read with any kind of purpose or uh, any kind of guidance or any kind of, you know, any kind of regularity. So I think so often we can miss out because of that. So for a little bit of context, uh, I want us to just kind of think about what, where we're at. So uh, we're looking at Second Corinthians. Can anybody tell me the obvious that we should be able to see just by looking at Second, just the name of the book that we're going to be in tonight? We're going to try to learn a little bit tonight, so uh, hopefully it'll be a little interactive. Maybe we can get some feedback. Uh, so just by looking at the title, can anybody tell me anything that you can just draw right out of the title of the book, Second Corinthians? It's the second letter, Okay. And actually, you know, this is interesting. If you read 2 Corinthians and you read 1 Corinthians, what you'll find is that there's actually four letters. We get two letters. We get 1 and 2 Corinthians. There was a letter written prior to 1 Corinthians. You can tell this as, if, as you read through 1 Corinthians. He makes reference to a letter that he had written before this. And he also writes a letter in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians uh, that's kind of, Apparently, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4, what you would find, and we don't, we're not going to flip there, it's just for context, I would encourage you to flip there and read, is that he had written a letter prior to writing 2 Corinthians. Well, by the, the will of the Lord, we have two letters that are passed down to us, and we can kind of get the gist of what he was saying in the two that, uh, that were not passed down to us. Uh, so there's been four letters written, or three preceding this, one of which we have in uh, the writing of 1 Corinthians. And so does anybody know anything about Corinth? Anybody at all? Anybody tell me any interesting facts about Corinth? No? Okay, so one interesting thing, and this is, this is going to play into this, this whole idea of what we're going to really be digging into, which is suffering. One interesting thing that I want to point out to, to you, and, and again, I don't ever like to say something and you just take me at face value. Go look this stuff up. Most of the stuff that I say is not just, you know, you can find it with just a little bit of research. So go look this up. Corinth, which is where he's writing this letter to, is a city that sits in a very fortunate place. Okay, and because of this, there was a trade route that would run through Corinth. Instead of ships, and this is pretty cool, instead of ships going around the peninsula, which was about a 250-mile trek, they would actually take the boats out of the water and walk them about four miles, and this through this, Corinth was kind of right there. So Corinth, because of this, because of its location, because of where it was at, it was a very, very wealthy place to be. Okay, all trade coming from the south had to go up through Corinth to get out. All trade coming from the north down would go through Corinth. It was the easiest path through, and because of this, it almost become like a like a melting pot. I see, I see in Corinth as I study these letters, I see a lot of I mean, what we have become as America. This place where cultures come in. You know, we're open. It's also a melting pot, right? All cultures come in. All these ideas come in. And this same kind of thing was going on in Corinth, okay? So we're at the, what really is a fourth writing of Paul, two that we have. What can we draw out? If anybody that studied Corinth, uh, the books of Corinthians, what can we draw out 
I want you all to think about this, and, and if anybody would give an answer, uh, just maybe some ideas, some thoughts that come to mind as you've read Corinth, uh, the book written to the Corinthians. What, what are some things that come to your mind? And if you don't have any, I can, I can throw some out. I want to give you an opportunity to kind of speak up. Anybody? It was a port of trade, right? Which made it very wealthy, which made it very wealthy because of this. There was a lot of money passing through this place. Anybody else? So it was a port of trade, lots of people coming through, lots of people passing through. You've got a lot of money going through this place. What else? Anybody else got anything? There was, yeah, some. <laughs> there was just a little bit. The church had just a little bit of issues. Now, if you've read the book, then you know that might be understating a little, a little bit, all right? So if you read First and Second Corinthians, what you find is that Paul does a lot of rebuking through these writings. It's a lot of like, I mean, it's, it can be hard to go through. Sometimes we'll read through it, and we'll be like, yeah, he'd go tell him, Paul. And then other times we'll read through it, and we'll be like, I think he's talking to me talking to me there you know so as we as we read through it what we find is we find that there is a church with problems a church with issues um, and trouble this this church is in trouble if you read second corinthians the the book of second corinthians is written really with two major purposes in mind one paul is kind of reminding them because at the end of first corinthians first corinthians he is asking them, hey, could y'all please gather together a little bit of money? The believers in Jerusalem are poor, and, and we've got some money that we've been collecting that we're going to be taking to them. Would you please do this? And in 2 Corinthians, he's bringing this up again, and he's kind of bringing it up in the midst of a whole lot of rebuking. So you kind of, it, it makes you wonder, like, he's asking for money, and he... He's, he's, yeah, really, he's slapping wrists. He's like, you're doing all these things wrong. You're messing up in all these areas. Oh, by the way, I love you. We're going to be coming by soon. <laughs> Could you have that money, baby? <laughs> yeah, the second major theme of 2 Corinthians, do you know what it is? He is addressing false teaching. The entire book, apart from the, hey, we're taking up this love offering, if y'all haven't forgotten, right? Apart from this, do you know what he's doing? He's defending himself. He's defending himself. Through the entire book, he is defending himself about what the false prophets have been saying about him. They've been tearing Paul down. Right? Like you can read through the book and you can kind of see by some of the things that Paul says, these kind of, you know what he was thinking, right? Like, like especially you get into like chapter 11, which we talked about the last time that I preached, and Paul goes into his boasting, right? And what does Paul boast about? He boasts about the things we would like to boast about, right? Right? No, no. What does he boast about? What does Paul begin boasting about in 2 Corinthians 10? about suffering. This is insane of Paul. This is crazy of Paul. Paul is defending himself. Paul is defending his ministry. Paul, in, in, that, in 2 Corinthians 11, if you go and look at that, what you'll find is some translations will read like super apostles, like, like in quotes, like super apostles. Like, am I any less than these super apostles, right? So he's asking this question. He's asking all these things about him. And what was the one thing that he asked prior to going into the major part of his boasting? Do y'all remember from the last time that we were together? Do you remember what Paul was really asking, the question that he was kind of asking prior to this? I'll flip over there. and Yeah, now, now that's not the, the question that kind of kicks it all off. He asked in verse 23 of chapter 11, are they servants of Christ? All right. So he goes into his boasting, and he asks, are they servants of Christ? And then what does he do after he asks the question, are they servants of Christ? He shows you what a servant way too often looks like. And this is where he starts boasting about things that, from a worldly perspective, 
who boasts about that? You'll beat how many times? Wow, that was a successful ministry opportunity, right? How many times were you shipwrecked again, Paul? How many, how many times did, I mean, the man steps foot on boats and they sink. That's how bad it was, right? Like you could pretty much guarantee if Paul, if Paul was going on a, a boat ride with you, then your boat was going to sink, okay? That's how successful this man's ministry is. So now keep in mind where we're at. We're writing a letter here to Corinth. Corinth is this trade city that is wealthy. And Paul chooses for what reason? For what reason to give a defense of his ministry? And does he say, hey, let me tell you how awesome these worldly possessions were. I saw this commercial for, I think, pastors of L.A. I don't know if any of y'all have seen this, this show that they've put on, this mockery of the faith. That let me drive Bentleys while my church is poor. Right? That's what Paul was doing, was he not? Was he not saying, look at all the money that I've got. Look at all the wealth that we've attained. Look at all the things that we've done, all these wonderful worldly opportunities that we've been able to partake in. Is that what he says? No, not at all. He boasts instead to the people who would listen, these people who would want to hear about how much money you could get if you came to Jesus. Like this would be the people to say it to. Right? This would be who you would bring that kind of gospel to. But he does not bring that gospel to them. He does not. What does he do? How does he defend himself against them? How does he defend himself against the, the you, whatever could have been said about the man? Whatever could have been said about him by these false prophets? Why would you defend yourself in this way? Why would you defend yourself? In this way, let's look in Second Corinthians. We're going to look in chapter one. It's going to kind of give us a a lead up into this. So, kind of the context that I want you to keep in your mind is this wealthy city. Uh, Paul has brought the gospel to them. They've accepted this gospel. After Paul has left. Division has come in amongst the church. You can see this in 1 Corinthians. People are claiming, I'm Paul's you know, convert, and other people, I'm Apollos' convert. Like, you can see that the church is dividing up, even in chapter 1. False prophets and see an opportunity to come in and tear down Paul. Paul now is led by the Holy Spirit to pen 2 Corinthians. And this is how it starts off. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I am writing to God's church in Corinth and to all of his holy people throughout Greece. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Verse 3. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Okay, so I want you to keep this in mind as he opens 2 Corinthians, telling us about who this God is that he serves, this merciful God, the source of all comfort. Verse 4, he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. I'll read four again. If you don't have your Bibles open, if you don't have one with you, um, if you're not reading this, please do, or at least find a pen in the pew and write it down and go and read this for yourself. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. I, we're going to do prayer requests in, in a little bit, and I want us to, to raise our hands tonight. I, I would love for us to be just just very open and very honest. I, I want, of the prayer requests that are going to be mentioned tonight, how many of us are praying for tro something that's troubling? How many of us that have maybe requests on our heart that God has put on our heart that there's something we're praying for we want God to deliver us from? 
right? We, we want deliverance, right? We want deliverance, okay? Verse 4, he comforts us in all our troubles. If you're going through something tonight, or if you wake up tomorrow and find out that you're going through something, because oftentimes we're good today and then we step foot into tomorrow and find out we've got cancer and we're going to have to go and be treated, right? That's how it happens. We generally don't anticipate these things. They generally come upon us. When they do, when they come upon you, okay, I want you to be able to look at this verse, look at this book, look at how Paul defended who he was and the work that he had been doing. And I want you to realize that no amount of suffering can overcome the comfort that we can find in Christ. Okay? He comforts us in all our troubles. This is for a reason. This is for a reason. He comforts you. Why? So that you can just be comforted? So that you can just be comforted? So how many of you in the past have prayed for things? Like, God, please deliver me from this. Right? Probably the majority of us. How many of us found deliverance? Alright? This is good. How many of us have gone through situations where the deliverance might not have been what we thought? that it would be. Was God any less worthy in one or the other? Why? Why? Do, it's all for His good. As Christians, we suffer, are comforted by God so that we can comfort others. Now, here's, here's a question that I want you to to look within yourself, and you're going to have to answer this. So you've raised your hands, and you've said, I've gone through things, and I've received the comfort that the Lord can bring. How many of you can also say that you've seen someone go through things that you've gone through, and you comforted them by it? How many of us, maybe because of the things that we've gone through, maybe it was a little shameful, maybe it was, you know, Whatever, we've kept our mouths shut and we've not comforted, even though that God comforted us. Verse 4 He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When we're troubled or when they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ. Verse 6, Even when we're weighed down with trouble, it is for your comfort and salvation. Verse 6, we're going to kind of spend a little bit of time just kind of looking at this, kind of breaking it down. So the first thing to take note of is He's not just speaking of light troubles here, okay? He's not just speaking of, like, the thing that we can get over in a day. He's talking about those things that sometimes last decades. Sometimes it takes all kind of spending just time in the Word, sometimes Christian counseling for us to get over these things. When we're weighed down with trouble. He's talking about himself. Right? He's talking about himself here, but this can be easily applied to us, and it does apply to us. When we are weighed down with trouble, and we're asking, what is it about? Why is it? Right? I talked about last time uh, that we talked that uh, Adrian and I, three years ago, uh, the weekend that I preached that message, three years from that weekend, had lost our second daughter, Allie. Even when we are weighed down with trouble. Why, we ask. Why, we ask. Why? 
church for your comfort and your salvation. Do you see this? You see in this, in verse 6, God working? I, I wonder if you see this. I wonder if you understand what it means to be saved from something. I wonder if you understand that no trial or tribulation, no weight of any trouble will you bring before God when you step in front of Him. You will not ask Him why. You will not carry your bitterness before Him. You will not. Because that is how great He is. Christians, as we go through trials, and we're going to go through trials, we're going to continue on through this book, and if you weren't here for the last message, read chapter 11 in its entirety. Look at what this man has gone through and how he can stand and still say the things that he says in spite of all that he's gone through, most of which none of us could compare in any way to the trials and tribulations that he's endured. None of us would trade Paul. Right? None of us would. It's for your comfort and your salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. And I, I want to ask the question, especially to us Christians tonight, to the church here, can we say that? Can we say that? When we're going through trials, are we looking for ways that we can now use this to comfort others? Or do we spend more time questioning the character of God? Because probably a lot of times that's what we do. If God is so good, then why am I going through this? Surely, if He's good and He's powerful, then this would not be. That's what we say. Whether you say it out loud or whether you think it in your heart, it's what you say. Let us instead, and this is the amazing thing, <coughs> through your trials, Christians, Without a doubt, God will bring you to the point that Paul is. God is the one that started the work in you, and He is faithful to work it out in us. He is faithful to work it out in us. So let's look at this as something to strive for, to stretch for, to hope that we can do. The middle of that verse, then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. Verse 7. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Again, let's stop and let's look at what he's saying here. Verse 7, we are confident. He's talking here, him and Timothy. He started the book off, it's him and Timothy that he's writing on behalf of here. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Do y'all see what he's saying here? It's a little bit of feedback. So that I know that y'all are awake, so that I know that y'all are listening. What, in, what is he saying in this verse? I'm going to read it again. We are confident that as you... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slow down my talk in the, in the points that I want you to listen to. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also sharing the comfort God gives us. Do y'all see what he's pointing out here? See, we're so afraid of suffering, our own suffering, that there's no way in the world that you can ever convince us that we could do anything, should do anything, to share in somebody else's suffering. God forbid, right? God forbid that we had to walk along somebody and bear a little bit of burden. We'd much rather be comforted, amen? 
We'd much rather ask God, why, are, why is good not happening here, God? Why aren't you doing anything here? And maybe he's asking you, why aren't you stepping out? Why aren't you bearing burdens? We're afraid, Lord. Let's be honest. We are so afraid. But Paul says here, and now let's keep in mind, let's keep in mind Paul's writing to these people who are divided amongst themselves, some choosing one, some choosing others, following false teachings, and he says something amazing. We're confident. We're confident. I have no doubt in my mind, church, that you will share in one another's sufferings. Why is that? Why is that? Why can they have that kind of confidence? Why can we have that kind of confidence? Because it's God that's working in us to do these things. So it's no amount of fear that will keep you from it because God will break down our fear. So let's be comforted by that. That even though we oftentimes fear what's going to happen, what, what kind of discomfort am I going to take on myself if I have to bear someone else's burdens, if I have to share in suffering of any kind. Let's not be fearful of that. Let's be confident instead. Verse 8. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, verse 9, in fact, we expected to die. So what do we see going on here with Paul? What do we see going on in their ministry? They're facing opposition. Right? As they're coming in and preaching the gospel, it's not just an easy thing. They're facing opposition. Why is it that they're facing opposition? I mean, come on. Yes. I mean, they nailed, we nailed, sin nailed, Christ gave his life on the cross. Don't you think if there were any other way, don't you think if there were any other way, that at least the Son of God, at least God himself, would not have had to suffer if there were another way? Paul here, they're facing opposition. They expected to die, but as a result, what happened? And this is what this is what you would call sanctification. Alright? Well, theology speak for you, church. Sanctification. Do we know what that is? That is when God, the one who justified us, who made us right in his sight, when that very God makes us holy, works within us holiness. Here and now, He's working that in us. He's working that in us. And this is what He's talking about here. I want you to see what happens. We go from a people who are afraid to bear burdens. We go from people who would persecute Christians. We go from that kind of person. God saves us, justifies us before Him, works in us a work of holiness. He's working in you today. I want you to understand that God is working in you today. And this is what happens. As a result of what? Okay, so in fact, they expected to die, right? They expected to die. But as a result, as a result of these persecutions, what happened? We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to really, or to rely only on God. Hmm. How many of you have been there? How many of you have been to that point to where all the prosperity in the world you would give away? I remember that moment. I can, I, I can remember that moment as I was holding my daughter in my hand, lifeless, no air in her lungs, and I can remember I could wake up tomorrow, no job, no house, no nothing. None of that, none of that matters. 
But do you know what does matter? We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. Wow, what a thought. What if we did that? What if we lived in that? What if we were that generation? What if we were that people? What if we were that church that stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead? And we get in this, we get a picture of where Paul is looking. And we get insight into this man's mind so that we can understand how it is that he can say the things that he says. Let's be honest. How, how, much, of, how much of this sounds good to the ears of our flesh, right? Like how many of us, I, I, read this, I read this book, and I don't want y'all to think that I read it and then it's like I'm reading it and I'm like, like there's Paul living in me and I'm saying it exactly like this. I read this thing sometimes and I think, that is crazy. That is absolutely insane. Like, what were you thinking, Paul, when you wrote that? And then he allows us to experience things in life that open our eyes up. God allows us to see things so that we realize that all that matters is God. Verse 10. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. <laughs> you know what's crazy? I, I wanna, so he gets deliverance. Right? You're like, I told you, there's the prosperity. He did deliver them. They prayed. He did deliver them. What? And what? And he'll rescue us again. What, what are you thinking, Paul? Are you looking for trouble? You must be. He's rescued us before, and he's looking future here. He's looking future here. He's not saying I'm going to be set up in my mansion. You know, I'm going to be driving my Bentley. He's like, he's delivered us before. He will deliver us again. What does this tell us that Paul's expecting? That as much as they're going to be praying for him, he's still going to face opposition. He's still going to face trials. It's still going to be difficult. He's still, there will never be a point for him where he can go back and say, now I can rely on me again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that there's never a point in my life where I can say, okay, God, now I will set you aside because now I can do it myself. If ever, Listen to me, church. Listen to me. If every day of the rest of my life means suffering, so be it. So be it. If, Lord, if that's what it takes for me to stay right next to you and to move closer with every step, so be it. So be it. Let's not be afraid. Let's not be afraid. He's rescued us once. He will rescue us again. We've placed our confidence in Him. And He will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Alright. So now we're ready to actually start the study. Now flip over to chapter 4. That was supporting what we're about to look into here. And I would, like I say, I would encourage you, read this entire book. Read the whole thing. What you'll find is that he's saying the same thing through the entire book. In chapter 4, I'm going to start at the beginning of chapter 4, but we're really going to spend our focus on verse 6 through verse 10. And then we're going to jump to the end and really spend a little bit of time looking at 17 uh, and 18, all right? <clears throat> Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. <clears throat> they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, 
who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory that God or that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, let's look at this. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Let's go back up to seven. We have this light shining in our hearts. But we are like what? What are we like? Who's he talking about? Who's he talking about here? Us. I want us to think about this, right? I want us to I want us to not just pass this by. What's shining in us? What's shining in us? Anybody? God's glory. Yeah. And what are we? Jars of jars of clay. The scripture says we are jars of clay. What is a give me some characteristics, if you would, of clay jars. I'll give you some options. Expensive? Are, are, are they expensive? So we'll say we'll say cheap. So they're not valuable? Are they valuable? They're they're brittle. They're brittle. So so they're not they're not strong. What else? They're dull. Who said dull? That's yeah. They're nothing pretty to look at. It's just a clay pot. They were molded and shaped. Weak? Yes. So they're I like this. They're molded, they're shaped. For what? Purpose. For use. The value of a pot is not, I I mean, I know that we kind of live in a time where we like to have like pots just sitting around in our houses taking up (laughs) no function at all, but historically the pots have been made to be used. So there's purpose in them. And the value was in how you could use them, not in just letting them sit around, right? Whether you just didn't buy pots because you had all kind of extra money and you just wanted to litter them throughout wherever. You bought pots so that you could carry valuable things, sometimes invaluable things. The amazing thing that God's Word tells us here is that though we are fragile, though we are in no way strong in and of ourselves, we carry within us a great treasure, this light shining in our hearts. Tell me something about clay that would be interesting when you reflect on the fact that there's light inside of this jar. You typically see through clay. Do you, see, you typically look at a pot, and if it doesn't have the name on it, I mean, exclude you named the pots for its purpose, right? It's just a typical clay pot. It's not gonna, you're not going to look at the pot and say, I know exactly what's in that pot. It's just dirt that's been molded, shaped for a purpose. So how do you how do you see what's in a pot? You can look inside the pot. You could pour the pot out. If I had, I should have brought like a, some kind of example and then pushed that pot off onto the floor so that it could bust everywhere open, and you would see exactly what he's trying to get across to us as we look at. Sometimes when we're broken open, 
That's the only time that you can ever see what's inside of us. God didn't make us like these rigid steel boxes, because that would be good to put treasure in, right? You're going to put treasure in something, put something that you can't just smack it with a rock and break it open. But God chose to put His great treasure inside of clay jars. What was He thinking? Man, what was God thinking? This makes it clear. Last part of verse 7. This makes it clear what? What's made clear? What did what has God made manifestly evident to us by placing himself inside of weak vessels? That it's him. That it's him. So that when we're broken down, I, I want I want you to I want you to tell me this. I want you to tell me this. Church, y'all saw us go through what we went through. Y'all saw us. Did you see Landon? Lord, I pray they did not see me. Did you see Adrian? When we're broken down, do you know what gets seen the clearest? That thing that's in the rubble of the pot. That treasure. We're so afraid though, right? I don't want to get even the smallest crack. I don't even want the smallest amount of light to be able to shine through. Lord, please don't let me be pushed. What we say, what we think, we have, let's be honest. Let's be honest. If we were going to put comfort on one side and how God's glory is shown in our lives on the other side, which, which do we pick? Which do we pick? We pick comfort every time. We pick comfort every time. Until God presents opportunities in our life for growth that we can't pick comfort. And then He makes Himself evident through us. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. God's word is so good. Verse 8, we are pressed on every side by troubles. We are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. What is this verse telling us? What are we seeing in this verse? We don't have to understand. And many times we will not understand. Paul said it's okay to be perplexed. It's okay to be perplexed. God will keep us from despair. It's okay in that quiet place when you're going through that trial to be like, Lord, I clearly do not understand the purpose or the reason for this. I trust you that you will show it to me. But I am perplexed right now. What else do we get from this verse? What is he not promising to these clay jars? We won't be crushed. We won't be abandoned. But see, yeah, we look for these positive things and this is good, this is good, but maybe we miss out on the fact that we are oppressed on every side by troubles. How often do we spend our lives wasting away looking for tomorrow to come, that day that may never come where we hope that whatever trials or tribulations we may be facing today are gone, right? I can remember being a lot like that when I was in college, being like, man, I can't wait for the day that I don't have to get up and go to class anymore, right? We do it. We do it. We wish away our lives, right? And what we should have instead is this mindset. We are pressed. We are pressed on every side. But we're not crushed. 
We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Verse 9, we are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Paul's saying problems, that's part of life. To live is to endure some amount of suffering. And I would, I would tell you this, church, that if you lived a life here that was free of any kind of pain, any kind of suffering, the moment you step front and foot in front of God, you're going to look back at all of that and it's going to feel like suffering compared to what He's got. The, our minds cannot understand the weight of the glory that is before us in Christ. Okay? You hope for a life that's easy. Let's hope for lives that glorify God. Let's seek to have lives that glorify Him because no matter what this life looks like, when we step forward into the next, it's going to pale in comparison. Everything behind us. Give it, give it, give it, give it a second when you look in face to face. And, and I can promise you, you, I can promise you this, that the thought that's on my mind will not be, why did I lose a daughter, Lord? You know, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. If I can even open my mouth, all that will come out is holy, holy, holy. Do you know why? Because He is holy, holy, holy. The angels that are around His throne, why do they cry? Why all the, why all the pain on earth, Lord? Is that what they're crying? Are they, why all this suffering? Why is the devil having his way? Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Why? Because He is. Because He is. Verse 10. And here's this sharing word again. Huh? Last time we looked in Romans chapter 8 and we saw this sharing word. Verse 10. Through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. Why? For no good reason? For no purpose at all? Why? It's clear in the text. Clear in the text. So that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. I mean, he started off fragile clay jars. All this pushing, all this pulling, all this trial, all this tribulation, all of it, so that Christ can be seen through it. Verse 11. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. Can you see in the text? Read it. This is why I would ask you to read it. Go home tonight and read it. Look at this. Allow God's Spirit to move in you. If you can't see the good that's being worked and the saving of souls in spite of all that Paul's gone through, he's not questioning here why. He knows why. Your souls. Your souls. That's why. You see Christ in my persecutions. You see Christ in my trials. It's not Paul or any amount of good words that Paul could say. It's not me or any amount of good words that I could say that would save you from what's coming for you. The wrath of God is coming for us. Hell is not hell because God's not there, church. Hell is hell because God's pouring out His wrath there. That's Bible. There's only one thing that can save us from the wrath of God, which we are all deserving of. That's God Himself. The person of Christ. So if you've come here tonight to hear a person, I pray that you hear nothing of me. 
didn't want you to see anything in him. You see Christ. And all that we do, church, that should be our purpose, that should be our goal, to lift him up. He saves souls. We need saving. Verse 13, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised Jesus or raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. As God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be a great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. This is crazy, what we're about to read, verse 17 and 18. I want you to understand, especially, I'm assuming that, that for the most part we're saved and we know Christ and this Wednesday night service we're here to, you know, to, to grow. So I'm assuming that, that we're saved. And even for us saved sometimes, our minds are still carnally thinking so this comes off as strange. But if you're lost here today, I want to go ahead and point out that what I'm about to read is going to be straight up foolishness to your ears. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So Paul... And we've looked at it the last time we got together. We've been looking at it a little bit more here. We know the man has gone through all kind of trials, all kind of tribulations. He's not saying your problems are small. He's saying his. Look at this. Our present troubles. Can we come to that realization? Can we say our present troubles are small? Were they? I mean, seriously. Like, were they small? He was beaten how many times with the 39 lashes, the 40 minus 1? How many times? He was shipwrecked. Yeah. All this is small. How is that small? How could that ever... Let's go ahead and be clear on this. The only way you could weigh out trials that were not small and consider them small is if you had something much, much, much larger that you were comparing it against. And that's it. That's it. When, when we're facing trials, that's what we need. We need to rightly measure out our trials against God, against His promises, so that we will say with Paul, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Eighty years is not a long time. Ninety years is not a long time. And if every single moment of that was filled with pain and suffering, it would still be small and wouldn't last very long. Yet, yet. So here's the contrast with this. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So to the contrary, we've got one thing that is small, another that vastly outweighs them. We've got one thing that won't last long and one thing that will never end. Verse 18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Oh, that we could get there, church. We don't look at the troubles that we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. That's, per that's perspective. What that is. Oftentimes, we like perspective. We need to find ourselves fixing our eyes 
on God, not on our trials and our troubles. Verse 17 and 18, and then we'll close. Close your eyes. I want you to think about this. I want us to be, I want us to get to this point. I want us to be there with Paul. I want us to be able to say this in spite of, and I'm not saying that your troubles aren't small, church. I'm not saying that my troubles aren't small. Sometimes they seem overwhelmingly big, but when they do, let's fix our eyes. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we, is this true of us? Are we saying this? Is this something that we believe? Is this something that we hold on to? We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. Your troubles will pass away. That thing that seems so big now, one day you'll forget that it even was. But the things we can't see will last forever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that we have in you.